Welcome to No Matter What. I'm Hannah Seymour, and this podcast is all about being who God created you to be no matter what. No matter your past, your current circumstances, no matter your relationship status, your career journey, no matter what life throws at you. Each episode, I invite a friend to talk about what that actually looks like, to be who God created you to be no matter what. Welcome back to another episode of No Matter What. I am so excited to have one of Tyler's and my friends in the studio today, CZ Curtis Zachary. CZ is an author. He's the author of Soul Rest. He is a great Bible teacher and speaker. He is a pastor. That's how Tyler and I know CZ from our church, Church of the City. CZ, thanks so much for being here today. Oh man, it is a joy to be with you. It's going to be fun. It is going to be fun. I'm (laughs) pumped. I already know this story, so I'm excited to share it with everybody else. So y'all know this show is all about talking to different people and hearing stories about a season in their life when things did not turn out that the way that they thought they should or that they expected they should or hoped that they would. And how do you and I stay committed and intentional to being who God has created us to be, who he has put us to be, what our purpose is on this planet to do that in those no matter what situations. And I love CZ's story because, well, it's got a lot of things in it, but kind of the beginning of it is really about finding yourself in a no matter what situation that that really was ministry, right? I mean, you were in a place where you were doing what you, you were doing good work for the Lord. So set up the stage for us. Tell us what was going on in your life. Yeah, so during this season of time where the real reckoning of this occurred for me, my wife and I had just moved to the Bay Area in California to a city called Richmond. It's just outside of San Francisco. And uh, we had gone to join an already planted church that had just recently started. And we went there with open hands, not really knowing exactly what specifically we would be doing, but just available to help and serve however we could. And immediately we knew it was the type of work that we wanted to be doing. I was getting the chance to open the word with people. Um, We were running alongside people who were in some painful situations, a lot of folks who were in recovery situations, some transitioning out of prison into uh, civilian life, uh, people who were coming out of the trafficking industry, a lot of homelessness in our area. So running alongside friends who were dealing with life in that way or trying to find ways out of that. So we quickly recognized the purposefulness to what we were doing on a daily basis. Uh, I think almost as quickly as I saw that, I quickly realized that the sustainability of my practice of what life looked like on a day-to-day basis didn't really feel very stable. I knew that the things we were doing was good, but I found myself regularly feeling tired in the kind of way that isn't remedied by just a break or Mm -hmm. time away. Mm -hmm. And as we started moving further into this time, we were about a year and a half in, I really felt like there's no way that I can keep going like this because it felt like a a 24-hour-a-day availability. We lived in a house that was right next to the church. Um, It was not unheard of for someone to come at 3 a.m. and knock on the door and kind of let us know their need, whether it was 
they were in danger or they needed a place to stay or something to eat. And so uh, we knew that it was good and we felt affirmed in a sense of giving ourselves to availability like this. But like I said, I just didn't know how much longer I could keep it up, not only from a physical rest vacancy, (laughs) you know, but really more from like this emotional and spiritual place where I didn't know if I had enough to offer to keep it going. Uh So with all of that uh, starting to come to the forefront, there was a very real sense of awareness that I knew I was doing a lot of work for God, but I wasn't really sure I was doing a lot of work from God. Mm -hmm. And my work for God was good in God's name, but it's almost like if I said, I'm going to drive from here to Chattanooga. Yeah. And I know where Chattanooga is, so I'm just going to get in the car and go. But if I didn't check to see if I have enough gas, if I didn't check to see if the oil was at the proper level, like all I said was I'm going where I'm going, but I don't know if I have the ability or what it would take to sustain to get there. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's what I started to realize. I had the good intentions to do good work for God, Uh but hadn't really been paying attention to my inner health and well-being. Yeah. And so were you on staff for that church? Like that was your job. Were you raising support or or somehow there? Yeah, it was kind of like a hybrid yeah. of uh, all of that. I, with my wife, just felt like we wanted to be in a place where people weren't super excited to run toward for the way of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And uh, this church, this city, this area all kind of fit a unique chance for us to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. And we just said yes to go. We went in faith, didn't really have a full set of support to be able to pull that off. The church that we were a part of here were so gracious and they kind of sent us to go Uh and saw the need and saw the work. And we were kind of in this hybrid situation of like, yeah, I'm on staff, but there's not really a specific staff position. It's kind of almost a jack of all trades to just be available. Yeah. Um, so yeah, when we went to go do that, that was all I was doing. Yeah. If that's kind of what you're asking. You, so, well, yeah, yeah. And just thinking about the financial, like if you, when you're coming to a place, I think a lot of folks have been there where they're going, I don't know that I can sustain this any longer, but this is what feeds me and my right. family. This is, you know, and so anyway, I was just curious if that was yeah. the situation y'all found yourselves in. Yeah. So it was kind of that, but also just, it really was less about that part and more about my identity, worth, and value being found in what I was doing. Mm -hmm. That's really the, I think, reckoning place because it really, when it comes to ministry, is all relative from like what the city looks like or the position you hold or what you're doing. But it's interesting how much we can become governed by who we are based upon the things that we do, even in the name of God. Yes. And where I started to struggle was, I'm not sure I can keep doing this. What does that mean about me if I don't do this? Mm. Like if I'm not sitting with people in painful places, sharing coffee with people who are in broken Mm -hmm. situations, if I'm not opening the word, and I felt like God was stirring in me this question, if I took away all the things that you do for me, Mm -hmm. will you love and worship me with the same passion? And for me, sadly, my answer was no. Like I knew it was no. Wow. Because he wasn't asking me, do you love me? That's an easy yes. Of course. I love you, God. What he was saying is, if you don't get to do this stuff for me, 
and all you are is a follower of me just living your life, am I enough to fulfill your longings? And I had realized that I had so set my own identity and worth to be interwoven with what I did for God that there was not enough sustenance that came from just being with God. Yeah, It, it was all connected to the energy and the momentum. And it wasn't about platforms. It wasn't about yeah. being in front of a bunch of people. Yeah. Nobody knew who I was. Right. There was complete and total anonymity. But still in function, there was purpose connected to what I was doing. Mm. And that was a really scary place to find myself in to realize, man, wait. I'm essentially saying that unless I do work for God, I don't feel as drawn or driven to worship. <laughs> and wow. I needed to figure out what that looked like. Yeah. So, yeah. So what is next steps <laughs> for that? I mean, when you find yourself in a situation, where do, you, where do you even go from there? Yeah. Well, I mean, just to kind of further paint the picture, I think that was occurring simultaneously at that moment where I started to experience that reckoning. My wife and I had been hopeful to start a family. And we, in some ways, naively, or me personally, believed that having kids might introduce some of this sense of purpose, you know, mm-hmm. some of this sense of like deficiency that I'd been feeling now being fulfilled. Mm-hmm. And so we were hopeful, you know, to, to become pregnant. And we, we did. And uh, I remember feeling excitement and terror at the prospect of, you know, having kids. And um, very quickly, we miscarried with the first pregnancy and we were just shocked because we had never thought about that as a potential. Obviously walking in ministry, I had been around that some, but never really thought, man, like that could happen to us. So it showed very quickly the fragility of life, of course, but then also how little control we have. (laughs) We're going, oh, we're ready to start having kids. And it's like, not yet. Yep. So then six months later, while I'm still walking through all of this tension of trying to figure out how to discover my connection with God again, we uh, became pregnant again, carried further in. And then the second time it was another miscarriage, but yet it was further into the pregnancy. So therefore more physically and emotionally taxing for us. And at that point, that's when what you're asking kind of kicks in like what something needs to change. Everything kind of came to a head. We have to figure out how to how to move forward out of this yeah. because now not only do I not know how to sustain in ministry, not really know whether or not God is enough for me. Now, I have some really hard questions for this dude because yeah. <laughs> I'm doing all this stuff for God. Yeah. And I say at certain points, you know, in our journey like theology goes out the window. Yeah, I knew that it wasn't totally. dependent on my work. You know, in my head, I knew yeah. that the gospel says that there's nothing I could do to earn. I knew those things right. in my cerebral process. But what do you say in the moments when, you know, there's weeping saying, I prayed <laughs> that God wouldn't do this thing and look at what happened. It's yeah. o- You're only left to go, wait. I thought we had a deal right, here, man. Totally. Like I'm working for you. Yes. I'm giving everything. I'm yeah. spending myself. And so that's when we said, okay, something needs to change. So we packed up all of our stuff. I shared with the guys that I had been um, serving with. They were so gracious, so gracious to me. And I just said, I'm not sure what's next, but we need to kind of land this plane. I gave like a three month kind of time frame, And I thought, 
uh, again, God's going to show us at the end of this three months what the next thing is. And we got to the end of that three months and it was like, nope. (laughs) So I felt like there was, I went to this coffee shop and um, I ordered the coffee. It was a place I used to go all the time to study and hang out and ordered the coffee, grabbed it, sat down and I just started crying. I could put my head in my hands and I just started crying. And I felt like in that moment, God said to me, you need rest for your soul. Now, there's two things that is uh, true or comes to mind when I think about that moment. Number one, he said that to me. like it, It's like he spoke vividly to me, and I knew it was from God. You need rest for your soul. So the first thing is, like I knew what he was saying was true, but if I'm being honest, like I didn't know what that meant. Like yeah. I probably would have maybe even have said something like that to yeah. someone in ministry or whatever, but I knew it was true in that moment. The other part of it, and this was more terrifying, is I knew it was from God. I knew God was speaking to me, but that was the first time that I had heard God speak so clearly in as long as I could remember. Mm. Now, why that's terrifying is, remember, I'm doing ministry stuff yeah. all the time. Yeah. I'm telling people about God all the time. Yeah, 24-7. And in this moment, I realized, wait, like God, I've been doing this without you. Mm. And that was terrifying. So in that moment, uh, yeah, we packed up all of our stuff and, and we moved to um, uh, Sacramento, which was about an hour and a half away from where we were, where my wife was from. And um, in that moment, in that coffee shop, it just solidified what I knew to be true, that, that my issues weren't surface. Yeah. They weren't vocational. They weren't yeah. like physical they were they were deep yeah. and i needed to get to a place where god had permission yeah. to have access to those places wow. in my life wow. so we took that step and that was pulling away from everything that i was doing and then opening our hands and saying all right we're here we don't know how you're going to provide we don't yeah. know what you're going to do yeah. but here we are yeah <laughs> wow so i mean going back a little bit thinking about the folks that you that were also in ministry with you that yeah. were partnering at that church and were they doing similar things being on call the same amount and not exhausted or i mean cuz i think it would be easy for someone to look at with a very literal lens of like well of course you were exhausted you right. were working 24/7 and people were knocking on your door and ha- that isn't sustainable right yeah so i think there's kind of multi-levels or layers to that question and the way that it's answered. I think on the surface level of answering that question and anyone who has any insight into what it means to do ministry vocationally, there's an aspect of that to say, yes, it's exhausting and it's just hard to do ministry. But I think the danger is we resolve ourselves sometimes to thinking, When we read the Bible and the Bible talks about spending our lives for Jesus and giving our lives and giving all of who we are to his kingdom and to advancing his kingdom, we do that irrespective of God's care for my well-being. And all he cares about is my output. Totally. So on the first level of your question and the first answer, like, I think they, you know, would say they had adapted and adopted a process that helped them to be able to serve and work in the function that they had. Uh-huh. And, you know, I can't really answer on their behalf, sure. but you know, <laughs> they seemingly were in a yeah. place where they could 
sustainably move forward. Yeah. I think where for me it moves into the second level or layer of that is now asking the question, okay, well, is it possible to sustain maybe functionally probably I could figure something out, but it brings a deeper level of, I guess, inquisitiveness for me because then I'm going, is this really all God wants from me after all? So if that's the case, then I'm not really sure I want to sign up for that. Like, I don't know that it's enough to just like be a minion of God's, you know, instruction carried out into the world. When I look at the Bible I see that God's first intention for the creation of humanity was not for humanity to do stuff for him. It was to be with him. And what's weird is like, we've changed that. Like we've, we've removed that because we would say, well, you know, sin enters into the story and everything that was in rhythm with God is off. And we, in a sad way, associate our need to have to work with the fall of man. So we think we have to work now because we sin. No, work came from the connectedness to God. Work is a good thing. My problem is I was working for God without the connectedness to God. Yeah. I think a lot of people are sitting in that place. Sure. Absolutely. So you and Monique leave hands open. Okay, Lord, we're waiting on you. Yes. What happened? Yeah. So it really is as crazy and wide open as it sounds. Um, We did not have a clear pathway of, you know, restoration. We didn't have a plan. I didn't have like a sabbatical grid that I was following. I wouldn't even use the word sabbatical. It was just like, something needs to change and I'm out here. (laughs) We're going to see, see what goes on. And so very quickly, God in his graciousness began to show me that he was going to be our provision as we explored with open hands these uh, scary places. We moved in with my wife's family. They were so kind to us and were 100% in for this this journey and and whatever it looked like. And very quickly, we had a couple who uh, reached out and they had a townhome that was for sale there in the Sacramento area. And uh, there was some things, some complications going on in the neighborhood where they couldn't really figure out how to move forward in the sale. And they were praying about what to do with it. And they independently were praying from each other and came back together. And without knowing any of our journey, came to each other and said, I think we're supposed to let the Zacharys live in this house. (laughs) So they call up and they say, hey, I don't know what you guys are going through, but we would love to extend for you for you to, and we're just like, all right, God's up to something. Yeah. So that gave us back to your question about provision. It gave us this levity where we're able to now not have to worry about, okay, do I get a job at Starbucks? Do I try to figure out a grocery store job, whatever? It was like, you can, you can be present Mm -hmm. in this place. And so from there, it was all manner of things unfolding. It was me going for runs and weeping and shaking my fist at God, expressing, you know, kind of the questions that I had around all this that I was doing and trying to figure out what it all meant. It was seeking out other pastors in the area who had had a little bit of history with, but trying to be intentional to seek shepherding and governance, just as I'm trying to ask God to show me something. It was like 
I mean, exhaustive study of the yeah. scripture, starting looking for the word rest and how is that woven into the narrative of the Bible? It was conversations with my bride. It was seeking out counsel from people. It was reading books. I mean, it was all manner of things. I didn't have a roadmap. And so I just started taking steps. Do you feel like you heard that, like you need rest for your soul? And then that became your mission of yeah. like, what does that mean, That's Lord? Right. Yeah. And how am I supposed to even? Yeah. yeah. It became like a lighthouse. Yeah. You know, it's uh, you're in this uncharted, chaotic water in the midst of what looks like all is dark around you. Mm -hmm. And then you get a glimpse of a lighthouse on the horizon off in the distance. And that becomes your true north. Like yeah. you're just going, I don't know where that is. I don't even know where it's situated. I don't know what the piece of land is. I just see a yeah. light and I'm going to go toward it. And that really was it. So that, that idea of rest for me began to be the compass, uh, the true north, if you will. And as I began to dig in, I started to see not only was rest this gift of a temporary remedy of my anxious season, but I actually believe that God showed me that the message of rest is the message of the gospel woven through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Wow. And that was a really big discovery, obviously. Well, can you tell us about that? I want to hear, I mean, that might be like a two-hour sermon, but I, I want to hear Yes, it. I think it would probably be a longer conversation. But yeah, in short form, for myself, I'll just take you into just a fast-forward version. So I, in my mystery of trying to discover this, said, I'm going to study about rest. Where do I find rest in the Bible? Yeah. Imagine you just start in the Bible saying, let's look for where we see rest. Well, it doesn't take very long to bump into rest in the Bible. Yeah. Start in Genesis. Yeah. Start reading Genesis chapter two, verses two through three. Talk about how God instituted this idea of rest. He creates everything yep. and he makes it beautiful, creates humans in his image. And then in Genesis chapter two, verses two through three, we see that God rested. Yeah. So there's an interesting thing about that for me that I had never really thought about. So I'd heard the narrative of the creation story. I don't know how many times I've talked about it before. And it says on the seventh day, God rested from the work that he had done in two verses, Genesis two verses two through three. It says it three times. God rested from the work that he had done. He rested from the work that he had done. Wow. He rested from the work that he had done three times wow. in two verses. So that jumped off the page at me. Like, why does it say it so many times? And then the further question, and I'm a simple dude. So maybe this is an oversimplified question, but I had never asked it before. Why did God have to rest? Yeah. Because if he's this guy who created everything that we just read about, All powerful. why wouldn't he just say, all right, all of you and all of this that I created, on the seventh day, you will all rest. Mm. But it says three times in two verses that God rested from the work that he had done. Wow. So that took me on this other. Okay, well, man, I need to figure that out. In Exodus 31, yeah. verse 17, there is a description of what happens when God rests. I had never seen this before. Maybe I'd read it when I'd read through the Bible, but like, I certainly had never captured it. Like I'd never, it never caught me. It says, it is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that for six days you shall labor. And on the seventh day, God rested and was refreshed. Whoa. <laughs> That's right. Whoa. Yeah. I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> Not only did God rest, but there was something that he got out of the rest 
that was so refreshing that it was refreshing to God himself. Yeah. What could be so refreshing yeah. that would be refreshing to God? Yeah. Well, we have to look at why God rested. So going back in Exodus 20, verse 8, number four on this list of 10 commandments that we all know so well, right? right. Number four is yeah. honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor. On the seventh day you should do no work. He starts talking about the servants in your house, nobody around. Like you shouldn't do anything. On the seventh day, you remember the work that God has done. So I had always understood Sabbath or following the Sabbath or honoring the Sabbath as this command from God. So if you practice it, he will be pleased with you. That's what the Ten Commandments were to me. They were a list of 10 rules. Totally. If you follow these 10 rules, God will be pleased with you. Well, first thing that God reframed for me was that. The Ten Commandments aren't 10 rules to follow, so God will be pleased. They are 10 pathways to communion with God so that you can be fulfilled and nourished by who he is. Wow. When we look at the Ten Commandments, as a list of things that God is saying, these are all the pathways to connection with me. These are the barriers to intimacy with me. The point is not so you follow rules. The point is so you can be with me. Yeah. That reframed everything. So if that's true, wow. when he says, honor the Sabbath and keep it holy, I had always believed what kept the Sabbath holy was my inactivity. So he says, you shouldn't work. Mm -hmm. So then I'm thinking, all right, well, if I don't work, well, what if I'm completely still? Yeah. Like, what if I don't do anything? Yeah. The problem with that, though, is comparatively, what does that do for us in the way that we assess our righteousness? You know, yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm not working. Well, she's out there. Well, she's not spiritual. Well, he, totally. well, I don't do anything. Well, you're gardening on the Sabbath. Well, what are you, you know, yeah, like yeah, all these yeah. things, right? And I'd always wondered about that, where some churches were really intense about how you practice the Sabbath. Others would talk about Sabbath, but it was almost like this passive level, of like a like a faux Sabbath. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's yeah, almost yeah. like, yeah, we're honoring the day, but like really, it's, it's kind of loose, you know? Yeah. I always wondered why that was true. Well, get back to this idea. Well, God is saying when he rested, he was refreshed. Mm. He desired that same level of refreshment for the people that he told yeah. needed to Sabbath. Yeah. Well, what was so refreshing about God's rest? Well, I believe back to Genesis 2 verses 2 through 3, when it says that God rested from the work that he had done three times in those two verses, he looks back at the things that can only be done by his hand yeah. and his hand alone. Yeah. No one else can do the things that he has done right. in creation. He looks back at the work that is done by his hand alone, and he says, it is good. It is enough. I am satisfied. It is finished. And he is refreshed by looking at the work that could only be done by the hand of God. Wow. Now, he is God. Right. He is refreshed by this work. When he tells these people, stop working, you work for six days, yep. you stop working on the seventh day, what he's saying to them is, Look at the work that can only be done by the hand of God mm. and be refreshed that it's the work that is done by his hand that truly brings the significant worth and value to your life, not your work. So how I say it's woven into the Bible is yeah. fast forward to the New Testament. You have Jesus bloody and beaten on the cross. And right before he dies, he utters words that we all know so well. Tetelestai. It is finished. Well, what is finished? Well, it is the work that could only be done wow. 
by the hand of God. God looks at the work that he has done, just like in the beginning, and he is satisfied. Mm -hmm. It is enough. And he dies. Now, what comes after significant work? Rest. So on the seventh day, God decreed this day moving forward would be set aside for the remembrance of the work that could only be done by the hand of God. You will rest in the work that I have done. New Testament, Jesus, it is finished. And now salvation is us resting in the work that only the hand of God could do. So that blew my mind. So that connection as this umbrella of the narrative of the Bible then goes practically to me or anybody who's listening right now to say, oh, so what he's saying is my identity, worth, and value will never be found in the work that can only be done by my hand. It will only be found in the work that can only be done by the hand of God. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Okay, I have so many questions for you, but we have to we have to carry on in your story and then we'll ask as many questions as I can fit in an hour. Okay. So back to you and Monique. You're figuring this out. Yeah. And then what happens? Yeah. So we just start talking about it and recognizing how much of my life had been governed by what I would coin as my responsibility to God mm-hmm. as a Christian. Like it was my duty to serve in these ministry roles. It was yep. my responsibility. Yep. And I began to recognize that it was not about responsibility. It was all about my flourishing. Like mm. I, as a representation of God's kingdom, still am working for God, but rather than me being responsible or mm. it being a burden that I'm carrying, it is a product of my connectedness with him. That's why when he asked me, am I enough for you? Like it, when, when I'm trying to figure out where the why is for this work for God, he's saying it should just burst out of you. Like you can't even yeah. help but to work. Yeah. That's why that verse, you know, it's so interesting. Many times in churches, it gets thrown out when we need volunteers for the children's ministry, <laughs> but it's uh, a <laughs> faith without works. Yeah. yeah it's yeah, dead. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right. We talk yeah. about this verse all the time and it gets taken out of context. It gets placed into very specific pathways of application. But what's interesting about that verse in a general sense for myself, I would have always thought of that verse as unless you work, you don't have faith. Like your work is what validates your faith. Your ability to say that you're a Christian is directly connected to whether or not you're working. Yeah. What this began to show me and why I say that this message of rest was this narrative of the Bible message is it's not unless you work, you don't have faith. It's because of your faith, you can't help but to work. So now the work that I am doing, which is still necessary, by the way, I'm not saying that we shouldn't work. What I'm saying is our work is just like a flower flourishing just like a tree making fruit, just like any sort of natural representation of growth and productivity. Because without that, we are striving and straining to make fruit on our own rather than to see the fruit that naturally comes from a connectedness to the source of life. Yeah. 
Now, you know, if I make fruit by myself, that fruit is not real fruit. Mm-hmm. It's fake fruit. Mm-hmm. It's like plastic fruit that you put on the dinner table. Yeah. Well, if you took a bite of that, there's nothing inside of it, right. even though it looks beautiful. Yeah. My life was plastic fruit. Wow. You look at me from the outside, and I'm preaching, I'm hanging out with people, yeah. I'm doing all this good stuff. Yeah. The problem is I'm burning out because yeah. there's no substance. There's no yeah. juice yeah. inside of this fruit. Yeah. When God says, come to me, yeah. all who are weary yeah. and heavy laden, and I will give you the rest that you're longing for. Yeah. Now, all of a sudden, there is a connectedness to where the real growth comes from. And I don't need to manufacture fruit and make it look like it's rich. I have real fruit that is rich and full of juice, not because of me, but because of what he has done. So now my job is to steward my connectedness to God rather than me trying to manufacture in my own strength how to work for God. Mm. Okay, but I have to think the fake fruit, like while, yes, I hear what you're saying, it's plastic, it was coming from you, there, there was certainly still... God was still using your work in other people's lives. There's no way he wasn't, but you were the one that was hurting right? and it was harmful right? and in no way helpful to you. Which then begs a question, does God care about the guy who's giving the message or just the people who receive it? Yeah. So if there would be pushback to go, well, yeah, like you were still doing good stuff. Like your sermons were good. Like people were growing, like. That begs the further question, okay, well, when we look at this idea of spending our lives for Jesus, is it for the sake of that guy so that the advancement of the kingdom and the message of the gospel goes forward? If he dies along the way, well, that's just a product of what it is, to which I would push back and say, it's like a mama bird. A mama bird has the duty to go find the worm Uh for her kids. She chews up the worm. Yep. And she spits the worm into the kid's mouth. The the kid is nourished because of the work that the mama bird went and did. She has the responsibility, find the worm, chew the worm, spit the worm. I had this thought one time, and it's a little morbid, I get, but like, if she doesn't get her own worm, she's going to die. That's right. But this is what's interesting. If she never eats a worm until she dies, that worm she gave the kids is no less nourishing. That's right. Kid is... Man, that was so good. But if we think about what life looks like for ministry leaders in our lives, people who we've seen that have been a part of our story that has been so surprised. Wait, that guy is no longer... He wrote that book. Yeah. Like he preached just last week. He preached a message. Yeah. It was so incredible. Yeah. He had an affair. She did. Like yeah. it's because just like the mama bird, we go find the word, chew the word, and spit the word, never eating for ourselves. Where I believe God desires for us to be is, yes, giving out that fruit, regardless of what representation it is. But the only sustainability is connected to a real connectedness to him. And I would contend he cares more about my ability to connect to him than he does about my ability to output for him. Yeah, yeah, I believe that. Just want to interrupt this conversation for a second to tell you about a couple things. 
one. Each month in 2020, I'm choosing a book of the Bible to study, and I would love for you to join me. You can learn all about it on my Instagram, and you can even download a reading guide to help you. The guide is to give you a super simple, flexible, and really a practical guide in helping you get in a rhythm of reading your Bible and seeing how it can impact your life. Second, I'm running a major sale on my book, The College Girl Survival Guide. It is the perfect high school graduation gift or just a sweet way to encourage a current college student you know and love. You can even ship the book directly to her with a note from you. Go to hannahseymour.com for more info and use the discount code no matter what, all one word, all lowercase, no matter what at checkout. Okay, so how do we get to a place where the work is bursting from within or the, the faith is what's truly fueling the work? Yeah, I think our issue, especially as people who are followers of the way of Jesus, is not needing more of Jesus. <laughs> we don't need more Jesus. Yeah. We don't need more spirit. Yeah. It says in the scriptures that we have everything we need for life and godliness. Yes. So what does that actually look like in our lives? Well, what I learned in my own journey is if my issue is not more Jesus, more spirit, what are the barriers to intimacy with the spirit of God? Mm. What are the things that I am allowing to remain in my life Mm. that are keeping me from connecting to what I already have? Mm -hmm. So you're asking the question, like, how do I get to this place where this is true, where we're flourishing? I go back to, I'm not a green thumb, but it's the only imagery that makes sense to me. Like if you plant a flower in the ground or you plant a seed in the ground and it becomes a flower, it is not my job to make the flower grow. I can't make the flower grow. It just grows by a natural process that God had put into place. The thing I can do is cultivate the ground around where that flower is so that the flower will flourish. So... What I'm doing is removing the barriers to the connectedness to the source of life, i.e., man, there's weeds all in your flower bed. I can look for, identify, pluck out the the weeds that are stealing, that are choking out the life that is uh, necessary for that flower to grow. So my job is to tend to the ground, allow the growth to naturally happen that comes from the source of life, but pay attention to the things that would be interrupting that. One of the ways that we do that, and it's not something that we talk a lot about in our contemporary understanding of church, which is really weird because of how much it's in the Bible, is confession and repentance. I think just very practically and in a real way for many of us who are going, man, I want more more energy when it comes to studying the Bible. I want more of a prayer life that feels like I am hearing from God. How often do we actually identify a sin in our lives? Be fully and completely honest and transparent before God. Confess that sin. And repent of it. Like, we don't even talk this way in church. And it's not because we don't think it's true or necessary. We're just trying to get to a place where we can figure out how to help everyone feel welcome and feel accommodated, connected to the way of Jesus, which is important. But what I feel like gets left out sometimes is the personal responsibility, not for me to produce the desire to work, Mm -hmm. But to find these like almost little 
walls, these little like stealers of energy and identify them, bring them before God and dash them. Yeah. You know, in Hebrews 12, when it says, uh, let us throw off every weight, yeah, you know, that holds yeah. us down and, yeah. and every sin that trips us up and let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. What I love about that is it very clearly explains to me our responsibility. Jesus is That's the right. author and yep. the finisher of our faith. That's right. We don't do that. Nope. So I'm not saying that confession and repentance helps us to produce our faith. Yep. No, he is the author yep. and the finisher of the yep. faith. But what the verse says is my job as I'm looking to the author and finisher of my faith, running toward my faith being held by him is to get a, all the junk that I keep tripping over. Yeah. Like, let me move that out get of the out way. Of the way. Get that let me get the, the stuff yeah. that I got a backpack full of bricks, yeah. like throw that off. Yeah. And that I think is what you're asking. How do we get to that place? Well, we need to be honest before God. Yeah. We need to assess the condition of our reality. Yeah. We need to confess and repent. And a big part of that, I think, and this is another unspoken about part of what I think is true in the Bible for the church is lament. Lament is a gift given to us by God to bring our full selves before God without resolution. Mm. So lament is a gift because when I lament, I am saying, I am broken. I'm lost. God, I don't know where you are. Mm. I feel dry. I feel tired. And unless you show up, this is not going to work. Yeah. And there's no credits roll, walking off into the sunset. It's all good. No, a lament is, this is my full self. And you now know my condition. You also know, God, that unless you do something about it, there's nothing I can do about it. And I think what we need to do, if we want to take that step toward being in a place of flourishing, connected to God, is to bring our lament. Like I think about Psalm 13. And in the first two verses... Four times the psalmist says, how long, O Lord? Four times. How long? How long will the enemy triumph over me? How long must I wait? Like how long? And that is a lament. But we feel like, well, I can't talk to God like that. But what we know to be true is if God is God and he is omniscient, (laughs) he is aware of these apprehensions I hold. And it's just like if I said to you, all right, I'm going to the doctor today because I don't feel good and I need him to do something about this. And when I get there, I don't give him the full representation Mm. of what I'm struggling with. Like, let's just say I tell the doctor, yeah, I got these headaches and they've been bothering me. When in actuality, it's a blinding headache that has caused me to be blind in my left eye. (laughs) You know, like actually blind. It is constant. I I can't eat. It's excruciating. But I tell the doctor, Man, I'm having headaches. It's, yeah, it's not good. What is he going to do? Like, he's going to go, oh, okay. Yeah. Well, he shines that Adam? light in my eye. Yeah, yeah, okay. Why don't you try ibuprofen, get some yeah. rest, yeah. drink more water and whatever. Now, he's only left to diagnose based upon my representation of yeah. what I'm putting forward. Yeah. Now, again, God is all knowing. totally. But he is also gracious and kind. Yeah. And he is waiting for us to open our hands and to say, here is all of who I am. Enter in with me so that I can experience the restoration, the health, the wholeness, the rest that I long for in my soul. And that's what I believe to be the first step. Looking inward, 
Where are these barriers to yeah. intimacy with God? And bringing them forward. And he begins to produce yeah. just like a flower. Yeah. Two things. One, I just had Chrissy McClellan on the podcast. And I she's know a gangster. She's, oh, she is totally a gangster. <laughs> oh, man, I love that woman. And she said, and I'm sure you've heard her say this, that, of course, the Bible is God's word given to us, but the Psalms are God's words given to us to give back to him. That's exactly right. And I, I never heard anyone say that, and I just yeah. love that because I do think a lot of people wrestle with this idea of, I can't say that to God or God can't handle that. Another thing she said was God can handle all of you. Exactly. Like we think we're too heavy or too exactly. much. Like, no, no, he is all powerful. Right. He already knows it all That's anyway. Right. That's right. And he just like you said, is graciously, patiently waiting for us to approach him and to be fully known by him. Right. He already knows us fully, right. but he still right. wants us to That's give right. it all to him. Okay. And then the other thing I was going to say all of what you're saying is so timely in my life right now. I feel like I have been writing a lot, which really means I've been processing a mm -hmm. lot about mm -hmm. what it means to know our mission. I'll just speak for me, to know my mission, yeah. which of course is to love God and love others, to be a disciple and to make disciples and how I have to protect that mission, that there are right. things all day long that right. try to distract me or make me less efficient and learning how to recognize those things and and as you're talking, I'm like, okay, Lord, it's like I got like step one B, but one A is fellowship with you. It's right. the it's it's recognizing those same obstacles and hindrances, but I gotta protect my connection with the Father before I can even get to protecting the mission that He's given all of us that's to right. have on this earth. Anyway, that's good. That's yeah, right. and I think that that's where what you just talked about in the way of mission becomes so vitally important for anyone who would articulate that they are a follower of the way of Jesus. It's interesting how often I always say that in Christian subculture or church or in ministry ways of thinking, we're very good at what's yeah. like W H A T. Like yeah. we're very good at what. So here's an idea. Let's help homeless people. Let's yep. go to this country. Yep. Let's start this ministry. Yep. Let's do this sermon series. Yep. Let's do whatever. We're very good at what's and those what's by themselves, most of the time have an inherent sense of value connected to them. Like, well, it's good to help people and it's good to do that thing. It's good to share this idea, but we're not very good at why's. Yeah. We're really good at what's because the what's on a surface level can be birthed from our superficial understanding of what this whole Christian thing is about. Yeah. Well, yeah, I just want to advance the mission of God and I want to tell other people about God. I want more people to come to my church because I want more people to hear about God. And it's all good. Those are all good things. But what I've learned is really what you just said, which is unless we're solidified in our why, those what's will not be sustained. For example, how often have we heard in our church experiences, in our ministry experiences, these different what's introduced into our lives? We're going to start going through the Bible every day as a church. We're going to do the reading plan yeah. and by March, like we stop talking about it. Yeah. Or, hey, we're going on mission and we're going to buy a van for these people. And sometimes we're like, hey, did they ever buy that van? Like yeah. what? whatever happened? Yeah. So the question becomes like, what happened? You know? Right. And I believe that a lot of times... Those what's weren't sustained for the long haul because there wasn't a fully formed why uh -huh. that produced whatever it took to pull off that what. Yeah. So to your point, when I understand my why and I cultivate my why, 
just paying attention to my why is naturally going to produce these what's. So when you say love God and love people, I don't look at the world and go, okay, I wake up today. I need to love God and love people. Where can I love God and love people? I need to figure out how, yeah. yes, that's a good way to do it, but yeah. that will not be sustained yeah. in your own strength yeah, because right. sometimes loving God and loving people in your own strength becomes really hard that's and you right. don't feel like doing it anymore. Right. But if you wake up in the morning and go, what is my why? <laughs> my why mm-hmm. is informed and shaped by the communion yep. with God that he desires for and from me, yep. which then produces X, Y, Z. So when you wake up and go, man, my why is to be fully known by God. So today, let me spend time removing the barriers to intimacy with him. As I connect in intimacy with him, whether that's going for a walk or reading your Bible or spending some time in meditation or whatever that looks like, you now are producing the what's that come from your why like fruit is produced from a tree. Yeah. That's what he talks about. I mean, yeah. fruit, Galatians 5, the fruit of the spirit is. Yeah. We love to just kind of share that with kids and whatever. But he gives that imagery because he's going, this is how it works. Unless it's not working like that. I mean, unless it's working like that, it's not working. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. that's the way it's supposed to be. Yeah. Fruit coming from your life. Yeah. So you come to this place, spiritual epiphany, but more than an epiphany. I mean, it's a major work in your heart and mind and God really moves you and grows you and changes you. How then did you move practically? You're taking practical steps. I mean, at some point you're, you're going to start, you know, having a job again, you're going to start adding things to your life where you are working. What did you do to be intentional about not going back to the place that you had been? What were some steps of, I don't know, accountability yeah. or, or what, what did you do to move forward essentially? Yeah. So there's three words that I feel like summarize that journey and I still carry with me every single day of my life. Yeah. So one is to be intentional. Like you said, I have to show up to the reality of where I am. So I will work. I will have a job, whether that's in ministry or not. I will do something into the world as I should. But the intentionality that I want to bring to the table is, number one, let me pay attention to my why, which is fully formed apart from whatever what's come from me. So my intentionality is to say, what rhythms can I institute and establish that allow me to show up every single day to paying attention to the things that form my why, which then produce the what's. So I am no longer looking at uh, just reading the Bible as a function that comes connected to my responsibility as a Christian. When I read the Bible, I don't say I'm supposed to read the Bible. When I read the Bible, I say, I'm going here because I need to meet God there. And if I don't meet God there, then I am only going here out of rote repetition. This is for me. Yeah. I think for all of us, we no, have no, those. I think that's for everyone. Okay. But, but I, like, I like that you made it a personal uh, <laughs> application. But I think we all have these different barriers, these things that we have instituted in our Christian life yeah. that represent intentionality. But that's where it moves me to second point. Like, so intentional, I need to show up and say, God, I am here ready for you to do in and through me what you want to do. But then two, the second word is substantial. So the first word is intentional. I want to be intentional. I want to show up. I'm going to do the thing. But how often 
do we really approach these intentional rhythms with a belief that God will do the thing that we're hoping for? I think sadly what happens is we go, man, I'm supposed to read the Bible or I'm supposed to be praying for people or I'm supposed to be fill in the blank. But what about taking that next step to go, I'm going to do the thing and believe that God will be God in the thing. (laughs) So if I'm reading the Bible, believing he's going to reveal to me by his spirit, the thing that I need to see for my life and it will shape and form or in prayer, he will answer the prayer. Like it's not just, I'm going to go do it because it's good for a Christian person to tell every person I'm going to pray for you. What if I actually pray for you and I believe there's going to be a substantial encounter with God there. And then the last piece for me was sustainable. (laughs) So it's intentional substantial. And I think those two things for a lot of us, we might even get to that place. Like how many times do we go, yeah, I'm going to be a part of this Bible study. Um, 6 AM, get up. We're going to get together. We're going to read. We're going to do whatever, but we don't take the last step to go. Can I see myself doing this thing for the foreseeable future? And I believe that that sustainability is where we have enough of a foresight or an insight practically to go, well, where can I posture, where can I find these spaces where I can posture myself to receive from God in the rhythm of life? I say that because you're a mom, I'm a dad, yeah. we got kids, these yeah. kids running around, it's yeah. crazy, people yeah. have jobs, people have platforms, yeah. people have whatever, blah, blah, blah. And with that, we might go, every single what that I'm doing is so important, I don't even have time yeah. to, and then right yeah. there, we reveal <laughs> the vulnerability in our process because if we don't have time to do the thing that puts gas and oil in our car to pull off the what's then we're not doing the what's the right Right. way so practically that looks like a day-to-day evaluation of what i'm doing i think um ideologically or formationally what that looked like for me was when i was going to reintroduce myself into the workforce there were these why-centered ways of thinking yeah that I either had to live according to or not and determine that it would make some certain, you know, decisions difficult. Like there were going to be things I would have to say no to that on the surface doesn't really make sense. Maybe people are going, Oh, you have more opportunities, more, more growth, more. But if my why is saying no, I either have to decide to live according to that why or not. So that's where, again, I go back to practically it's, on a day-to-day basis, but I also feel like if we're saying we don't want to live lives defined by busyness, yeah. we need to say no to some things totally. that may on the surface not necessarily make sense, yep. and that will inform the way that we live. Yeah, yeah, that's good. And I think the, the going back to the idea of like a 6 a.m. Bible study that's sustainable, a few years ago realized like I can just say yes to something for six weeks and that really changed things for me of going like, Hey, I want to pull this group of women together. And for eight weeks on Monday nights, we're going to do this. And let me tell you on the ninth Monday, I was so grateful for those eight and I am so glad it's over. And I don't, I I mean, nothing negative about the eight week experience. It was incredible. God used it. He grew me. I learned things. I was in community with these women and praying for them for eight weeks. I mean, but it's not sustainable. That's right. And my Monday nights have to be guarded because right. it's everyone's Monday night. I mean, Mondays are crazy. Anyway. Okay. And just practically, yep. just real, real quick. So there's that idea, which is like an investment in a Bible study or a reading plan or whatever. And you have like this frame of time that you for yourself have determined is sustainable. Yeah. So if you go, oh, they're offering a 25 day thing. 
you ask yourself, can I do that or can I? Like, yeah. Okay. But what I also want to say to somebody who goes, all right, well, I don't feel like I could sustain any of that. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. I think it's beautiful and va- valuable to go, well, one time a week for 10 minutes, I'm going to set aside time to just be still before God and to be quiet and to not have my phone or yeah. to read the word, whatever. Yeah. Now, the reason I want to say that is some of us might inherently think, well, that's not enough. Mm. Like that's, that's not, a, well, you're talking about, you know, Bible studies and blah, 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 yeah, whatever, yeah, like yeah. praying every day, reading the Bible, like 10 minutes, one time a week. Yeah. Is that enough? Yeah. To which I would of course reply, hey, where was the 10 minutes a week before? Last week. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. it wasn't. Yeah. And what I'm saying is there are two beautiful, valuable things that come from that intentionality. Yeah seeking substantially to meet with God there. And that now is a sustainable pathway. What comes from that is number one, you have the experience of engaging this process and also learning about yourself, the truth of the barriers to intimacy. Mm. So case in point, some people might go 10 minutes, once a week, whatever. I'm going to get there. And I tried that. And immediately for the first five minutes, I just couldn't shut my brain off. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, so then, you know what? I realized I just can't do it. Yeah. I would flip that on its head and go, no, you just revealed to yourself yeah. what you need to be asking God to show you how wow. to remove the barriers wow. to. You just showed yourself yeah. what is clearly the weeds in your garden that yeah. need to be plucked out, yeah. asking God, asking people. Wow. And so anyway, I just want to affirm anyone who's listening, who's going, yeah, I don't have time. I'm a mom. I don't have the the substantial piece is the linchpin. The intentionality we show up. We want to be sustainable, yes. But if I just believe in whatever time I'm affording God in my yeah. life that I can have a substantial connection with him, he's going to begin to meet you there. Yeah. Yeah. And I think once you start, once you open the door to that, you're just going to want Boom. it more Boom. and more. All of a sudden more. you start finding time that and you thought more. you didn't have. <laughs> totally. It's so funny how that works. Totally. There is an app, John Eldridge, his team created, it's called the pause app and it's super cool. It's more like a guided time of quiet meditation. It, there's a minute, there's three minutes, five minutes and 10 minutes. And anyway, I would, if anyone is yeah. listening and just doesn't even know where to start, I would encourage download that app, the pause app. I'll link it in the show notes. It's super cool. And I go through seasons where I do it every day. And then I don't, I am so a seasonal person. I'm like, mm-hmm. I can do this for a season, mm-hmm. this for a season, whatever. Mm-hmm. Okay. Last question yeah. that I want to land. I just want to land on some scripture. Sure. So for someone that is hearing your story and all of your wisdom on this topic of soul rest and is thinking, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I hear what you just said, CZ, yeah. but I still don't know what that means for me to find soul yeah. rest. What is some scripture that you would yeah. give to them? Yeah, I mean, there's, as you would imagine, because you know me, ad nauseum <laughs> scriptures I'd like to in- introduce here. But well, if there's go one... buy CZ's book, Soul <laughs> Rest. That'll really get you. But get you there. if there is one thing that I would say, it comes back to a very familiar passage of scripture in Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30. And the context helps to get us to the place where the question you're asking can be answered. Jesus is standing in front of a group of people who know the halakha, which is the path by which one walks to be righteous. They know the way that has been instituted by the religious people, uh, according to the commandments, according to the rabbis and the scribes, these additional things that have been added on and all these ways that you are determined how to be righteous. 
And they are exhausted because not only are the original rules and laws, these Ten Commandments we talked about earlier, present, but there are all these additional things yeah. that all the religious people have added on to yeah. say, if you want to be righteous, you need to do this. This is how you practice the righteousness. Yeah. And Jesus has the audacity to stand in front of all of those people who are utterly exhausted, trying to be righteous before God in their own strength. And he says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart. And then he says the thing that you're talking about. You will find rest for your soul. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. So back to when we talked earlier about how I believe this message of rest is woven into the Bible. God's intention from the very beginning is for us to realize that we are deficient. We are empty. We are nothing. We are dead apart from communion with God. Jesus says in Matthew 11, I can reintroduce you to the God of the universe you have been separated from because of sin. Through my work, I will connect you to the rhythm of grace, the fulfillment of your soul that is longing and deficient in your own work. And when that happens, that's when the flourishing comes. So anybody who's listening, man, Matthew 11 is the definition of the fulfillment of God's intention for humanity. Salvation and rest is found in God alone. You will look to other sources. You will try to find rest in other things. I am the only source of rest that you Y'all, there ain't nobody listening to this that does not need to think more about (laughs) resting in the Lord, finding soul rest. I cannot encourage you enough. Go grab a copy of CZ's book. He is obviously a wealth of knowledge. This guy, you wouldn't know it because this is audio. He the amount of scripture he has memorized and just (laughs) pulls out of what seems like nowhere is incredible. Soul rest, CZ. Thanks for doing this. Oh, so fun. Appreciate you. Appreciate your ministry. Grateful for you. Okay, one last thing before you go. You know I always make sure our guests talk about some passage of scripture they really clung to during their no matter what season. And I have put all of the season one verses together in a cute, free, printable PDF that I would love to give you. Print it out and put it somewhere. You will see it every day. I know it will encourage you and help you continue to renew your mind with God's truth instead of letting your circumstances dictate your theology. You can go to hannahseymour.com slash shop or find the direct link in the show notes wherever you listen. And speaking of where you listen, if you listen on Apple Podcasts, would you take two seconds to rate and review the show? It would mean so much to me and you know it helps other people find it and hopefully they'll listen and be encouraged to be who God created them to be no matter what.